Welcome to the Business Addicts Podcast, where the stakes are high, talk is cheap, and results are on the other side of commitment. Hosted by a former addict, myself. And I'm his wife, Jamie. We uncover addicts' mindsets, showing that the talents you've created in your struggle will be the superpowers you leverage to heal your deepest wounds. Listen to former addicts share stories of how they've flipped the switch, including insights into how much we can believe in ourselves. For those of you affected by addiction, we support your desire to help the addict in your life by raising the stakes and creating emotional barriers. Hello, and welcome back to the Business Addicts Podcast. Today, we have the privilege of having another friend on the podcast. Leanne is also a podcaster. And she has such a cool name that I almost feel like I want to do this. Like, welcome to the Business Addicts Podcast. You know, <laughs> like Leanne Lovely. <laughs> have some fun with it. Isn't that a cool name? So anyway, um, we're excited to have Leanne here. Leanne, go go ahead. Uh, introduce yourself a little bit. She's got a, well, let me just say this. She has a podcast called Let's Talk HR, Humanizing the Conversation. Correct. Did I get it all right? Yes. All right. Yep. And so introduce yourself, and then we're going to have an interesting conversation here today. Yes, I am Leanne Lovely. I married my husband because he had a lovely last name. No, I'm, I'm kidding. No, he's, he's an amazing guy. Uh, anyways, Leanne, um, I, I have a, a podcast, Let's Talk HR, Humanizing the Conversation. Um, it's my passion project, but I also have a day job. Um, I am a Associate Director of Client Solutions with Vaco. Uh, Vaco is a, a professional staffing company. Um, we're a global company that you know, helps individuals find awesome jobs and helps companies find awesome people. And um, I've been in HR one way or another for, for 17 years. I'm dating myself here. Um, I also have had a lifelong struggle with bipolar disorder. Uh, and it is part of the reason that I launched my podcast and over the last couple of years been my mission to let people know that I'm not afraid to talk about it anymore. Um, I've spent way too much time being afraid of people finding out and I'm done with that. I think it's so cool. And I think that's why you and I get along is because you're not afraid to talk about it. All right. In our conversations in the past, we've we've had some fun with just comparing. You know, you would think that there'd be nothing similar with addiction and like any sort of mental illness or however you term it, I guess, give me the term, but like with, say, bipolar disorder. But yet, it seems like the more I dig in, the more I'm finding commonality in even like in one of our first episodes, uh, Gary, who was, I think, in episode three, mentioned that there was a lot of anxiety behind his addiction, right? Like he had to stop drinking and then he had to deal with the anxiety. And as I'm even, like I've processed a lot of that since he even said that because for me, I guess I didn't really like give it that term, like, oh, I'm anxiety. But if you, if I, look at my behavior issues, <laughs> there's definitely anxiety there. There's certain things that I have trouble, I had trouble. And even today, there's, you know, hot hot button, like money conversations and um, taking expensive trips and <laughs> things like that. The, it's, it gives me anxiety and I didn't even know what that really was. So, I just want to have a, a conversation today about what's common between both and and see where it goes. There are so many commonalities in um, individuals who have addiction um, and individuals who have an underlying mental health issue or um, a diagnosis. You never know which one comes first. Sometimes it's the um, anxiety causes you to drink or do drugs, or it's the anxiety that comes after you are trying to stop doing you know, drugs or, or drinking. I will tell you that in my journey, when I was coming off of my excessive drinking and because there was a period of time in which I was being treated for alcoholism and coming off drugs and everything else, uh, the amount of people that I met that said, well, 
I have XYZ or I have major depression or it was unbelievable. They often go hand in hand. Uh, You often find people who have an underlying mental health issue that also have an addiction to one thing or another. So they're very tied together. Yeah, tied together. There we go. Okay, so let's uh, let's maybe start with just in your journey, when you started to recognize what was going on for you, what did that look like? <laughs> the ugly chaos? Yeah, I mean, wow. Uh, the first signs of, of when, I guess, that chaos really happened was I wasn't sleeping. Uh, I and, and that's the reason that I picked up my drinking habit. You know, I started drinking just so I could sleep. That's one of the things with with mania, hypomania, and and mania. And and those of you who don't know, bipolar disorder is that the depression. You can go into a, a hypomania and then eventually into mania. And mania is a euphoric feeling, uh, a a feeling losing inhibitions, feeling euphoric feelings. And sometimes people will even say that they feel godly, that they feel that they cannot die, that they feel like there is nothing that can bring them down. When I started experiencing, you know, the sleeplessness, the I started to drink, went from, you know, having one drink to having five drinks to just drinking straight vodka to drinking excessively to waking up in the morning and eventually pouring booze in my coffee to all of a sudden I have an addiction um, and I can't make it through a day without a drink. And then it's hiding the booze and people don't realize that I'm drinking all the time. And I didn't even know at that point that I had bipolar disorder. It was definitely something that was spinning out of control. And this was over the course of of a couple of years that things were getting very bad, very quickly, but very bad um, over some, some years. And so as my life unraveled and as my marriage dissolved and my parents are seeing this, you know, you're keeping all these secrets. You're, there's shame, obviously. You know, I'm pouring vodka in my coffee, which definitely wasn't for the taste. <laughs> Eventually, when a diagnosis came, things kind of started to make sense. Oh, okay. So now I understand. Um, you know, and at one point I was put on, you know, here's a sleep aid. It didn't work because it wasn't, that wasn't the problem. And, and again, those two correlate so closely. Of, It's easy to treat the symptom and not the problem when you don't know what the problem is. And often, you know, people who fall into an addiction, there is some type of unknown trauma, whether that be a mental health issue, whether that be something that is, a, you know, happened in their past, whether that be just an emotional break that they're not dealing with. We don't wake up one day and say, hey, I want to drink every single day. <laughs> Or I want to do drugs or, hey, I want to have whatever, I want to be a cutter or it's not a choice that we make. It's it's such a slippery, slippery slope to one day realizing, oh, I can't make it through a day without whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, that's how I fell into my problem. Now, I don't know if that was, I, I can drink, I can drink alcohol now and I don't have a problem with it, but I was clean for over a year. And of course, I don't do drugs anymore, but that was also a big deal for me is to get off of, you know, abusing drugs. Yeah. So for you, it was like there was this something, let's just say something we didn't quite know about or couldn't completely identify. You started to drink to cope, to be able to sleep. So it's it's not like you were completely addicted. This is the line that we talk about a lot where it's like some people, if they were to create one addiction, or like for me, I can easily create new addictions. Like I can create an addiction to uh, reading books and I could read, you know, uh, 30 books in a week or whatever. <laughs> Not quite that many. But, uh, or I could watch movies for days, you know, or whatever. I could come up with, and I have in the past, taken tons of different ways of like, okay, so I, 
I'm going to focus on something else. So I, I think there maybe is a personality aspect to it, but but yet I, I just I find it interesting. This is why we were doing this, is I really find it interesting your perspective and just diving into mental health side of things because I know for me, if I go back to the beginning, for me, and I have done this, where I'm standing there and have the choice to consume uh, pornographic material. And I have a friend that's involved here and there's an older kid on the block who's giving it to us. And my friend walks away and like he he's fine, you know, and I'm and I don't. I go back for it. Was that his parents or was that him? I think it was him, right? And I think it was me. As a kid, I was really driven. Like I, I had a paper route at two paper routes at 12. Like I was creating anxiety because of I needed something to do sometimes. And of course, I didn't understand this, but going back and even understanding how who I am today, I can see that. It's like if I didn't have enough engagement from kids my age or even from adults, you know, just uh, challenging me, right? Um, that kind of created an anxiety there. But I didn't, I didn't know what to call it, right? And I didn't even know to identify the feeling. When you started to understand about bipolarism and yourself and all that, what did that look like? And uh, what happened when you knew about the diagnosis? So I, when I quit drinking, I flipped my addiction to something else, much healthier. But it was really easy for me to just flip that onto something else. I got into loose leaf tea. Obviously, that's, you know, much healthier, but I became like obsessed with loose leaf tea. I have an addictive personality. I absolutely, I, I need to be hyper-focused on something that is, it is the way that my brain works. Um, as long as that's a healthy, um, you know, as long as I can focus that energy and that in, in, in a healthy f- way, I'm, and I'm not hurting anybody. And I have those checks and balances in place to say, okay, you need to walk away from this now. Um, it's, it's okay. You know, they say everything is okay in moderation. Unfortunately for me, sometimes that moderation needs to be, you know, checked. You know, Leanne, hey, you're, you've been staring at this book about loose leaf tea for five hours. You need to walk away now. <laughs> so I've since then given that one up. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I just, what you said about, you know, having that addictive personality, I, I truly do believe that it is a trait that for some reason, once you've gone down that path, once you've had some form of addiction, it's hard to turn it off. It's hard to, because I really do need to have a hyper focus on something. Um, I also believe that there are, is the ability to focus that on on things that you can turn into success. Once the diagnosis came and I understood that, okay, there is an underlying issue going on. I have bipolar disorder. I also turned my attention to what does this mean? Um, Let's research this. Let's understand it. It took me a, a while to get there because at this point, I'm realizing that my brain is not healthy. I left my psychiatrist at that point because of a, a variety of different things that was happening. But I found out because I, I, I had a suicide attempt that landed me in, in a facility. I was properly diagnosed. When I came out, I was semi-stable. I was a little, a little hypomanic, but I was healthy enough and balanced enough for a period of time to be able to find a doctor. I went to that doctor and he made it very clear clear to me that he would not treat me if I continued to use alcohol and drugs as a as a band-aid. So at that point I started going to AA. That began the the really the the self-discovery of of me, realizing that it wasn't just the bipolar. There was a lot more going on. And I, you know, I looked into my past. I looked into, you know, is there something else that's happening? Is there trauma? But in the reality of it, just having bipolar disorder and finding out that's a trauma. Because now I'm looking back at my life, realizing there was a lot of things that I missed out on because 
I didn't experience certain things that other people experienced. True, genuine relationships. Uh, I had a lot of problems with maintaining solid, good relationships with people because I just didn't connect properly with a lot of people. Yeah, after that diagnosis, it was a lot of self-discovery. It was a lot of getting on the right meds. It took a long, long, long time to find the right medication. And then it was going into in very intense psychotherapy for a long time. Because for me, when you have a mental health disorder that's constantly swinging you up or swinging you down, you don't know what the baseline of normal is. That makes sense. Yeah. This for me was not a a choice. This is something I'm born with, something I've lived with my whole life. And now I'm wondering, is everything that I've ever felt my whole life then abnormal compared to what the norm is? I'm sure I drove my doctor. I'm sure he probably was like, oh, great. This Leanne person's coming in and she's going to talk about what's normal. But that was the conversation. It was, what is a normal emotion? Is Am I laughing too hard? Should I be not laughing? Should I be crying? And then you start to get scared of the emotions you're experiencing because you're like, wait, nobody else seems to be upset by this. Should I not be upset by this? Am I having a normal reaction to this? It was, it was difficult finding out. And then on top of that, I'm refraining from drinking, which has been my norm now for a very long time. All my friends kind of were like, well, we're going to go out to party because remember, I'm in my early 20s and all of my friends are experiencing being 21, 22, 23. I want to hear the rest of this, but I also want to interject as as you're talking about that transition period where you're, what is this a real emotion? Like for me as an addict, like weekends was a hard thing for me as an addict because oh, suddenly I have to be around my family a lot more. And Jamie, my wife, she's not really great at tolerating not being present, let's say. (laughs) So, right? So, you, what is a normal weekend really supposed to look like? For me, growing up, it was probably relaxing mostly, you know, and for Jamie, it was doing things. I, I can totally sympathize with the you know, the mindset around a set of circumstances or an an issue in your life. And then you have to create a completely different mindset. Really, our mindset is very related to what we see as reality. So, if we switch it, if we somehow understand that that original mindset was wrong, then it's like you have to start over and you're really just skating on ice. You have no idea what you're doing. You don't know what is normal, what what should I be doing? And you just have to be willing to step into that and be like, okay, I l- love the people in my family and I've had experiences with them and I know that I can enjoy it. So, what's my problem? <laughs> what's my anxiety here? To a certain extent, I, as you're talking, I'm relating that to a- an addict and going through that mindset shift. Hearing your story, hearing other people's stories, they're so similar in, because not only are you flailing around trying to figure out, how do I navigate this? I I should know, but you're right. There's, your brain is not experiencing things the way that you have in the past, because now all of a sudden you don't have, you don't have that, that safe place to run to. And whether it be, you know, porn, whether it be alcohol, whether it be drugs, you don't have that safe place to run to. Now you have to face everything f- completely just sober front. Uh, and when I say sober, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking necessarily about the drugs I'm, or I'm, I'm talking about the that euphoric feeling that you get when you use anything. And for me, that euphoric feeling was taken away when I started taking medication. So I could no longer hide in my own brain. I now had to experience the world on a level playing field. Yeah. It seems like the commonality is that there is a reality there, but we're not quite sure what it is. And so that that builds an anxiety. 
just by not understanding reality. Like, like you're saying, even with the ups and downs that you would go through, even mentally, right? Emotionally, mentally. But what is reality? There's a, there's a fear about reality. I don't know what to do about family, right? Because I am not used to that. That's not the way we grew up is doing a lot of stuff together. So I'm just going to avoid it because I don't understand it. I don't know what it should look like. Some of the people in my family probably think that's silly, but yet for real, that is what's going on. I'm avoiding reality because I don't really understand it, right? Um, and then I'm creating some coping around that. Absolutely. I avoided as much as possible my lows. Obviously, you know, anybody who's experienced bipolar disorder hates the lows, but they love the highs. And often that's what drives them to go off their medication. I want to feel euphoric. That's like, that was like my drug. So when I stopped drinking and stopped, you know, using, abusing drugs, my, I was, I always wanted to chase the high. Like, I can't wait until I'm manic again because there was no better feeling. There is no drug in the world. There is no, there is nothing that compares to what the brain is capable of allowing you to feel when you are manic. It is a 100% natural experience that makes you feel like you cannot die, which is why people who experience that at the level in which my brain was bringing me up, it was extremely difficult for me to say, I will never feel that way again because I'm going to go on medication and I'm not going to feel that. So when I chose to go on medication, I knew that I was walking away from the purest drug I could possibly ever have, which was those highs. So in a way it was, I'm giving up my, my own personal, my own personal drug. And a lot of times people will go off their medication because they can't handle, or they say, well, I just feel so dumbed down. I feel so, you hear that all the time. I, I don't feel emotions. I feel so blah. The reality of it is that, no, you're feeling what everybody else feels. You just need to give it time to realize that this is normal. And eventually, you'll balance out and you'll feel the highs, you'll feel the lows on a normal level. And it was hard. It was really hard because I'm like, this is the most boring thing ever. <laughs> I'm not advocating for, hey, everybody, you should go feel what, it, you know, feel like what it's like to be you know, manic, because you're also extremely dangerous. You're, you can be extremely dangerous to yourself and extremely dangerous to others because you lose all inhibitions. You lose all, um, you know, anything, all of those different feelings of that, that people are supposed to have about their security for themselves, security for others. Those can all be washed away. Some people, like I said, feel like, oh, I can't die. I can do this. I'll, I'm not going to die from that. They put themselves in risky situations. They put themselves in dangerous situations. I mean, now I was lucky enough to not put myself in a deadly situation, but I have known people and heard stories of people who have. There are a lot of people who have been locked up in prison because they had mental health issues that were unknown. And I'm sure that there are still people sitting in prisons that are that were completely out of their mind. And it was never discovered that the reason that they did it was because they had some underlying mental health issue. I want to just say something here that I don't want to take away from the mental health side of what Leanne's saying. Okay, so by comparing a choice, an ad addiction, as something that we choose to what she's saying about what she went through mentally, I don't want to take away from the fact that that's not all a choice, okay? Um, but I do want I do want to go into some of the relation the relationships between just us as humans. For example, for, as an addict, when you feel a lot of shame about something, you want to come up with some way to balance that. So you are looking for something good in your life to create to underline some experience that makes gives you meaning or some whatever special date or whatever that makes it so your marriage is okay or, you know, some short uh, experience with a kid 
that is like, okay, I'm actually okay, dad, right? So, that's a human part too. It's like, yes, you're talking about the extreme version of that, that along with whatever the chemical and mental components of euphoria is. But I, I could see how this relates to us as being humans that we are going after that. That's like, okay, I want that high and I don't want the lows. I don't want the depression, right? But like chasing the high too much and then boom, we're back in the low the next day, right? Because it's like we're manufacturing it instead of being there in the, in the moment and really appreciating. It's like we're by making it selfish, like by saying, okay, I have to have this myself to make it so that I'm okay. We're actually just causing the swings instead of being like, wow, I really appreciate being with this person. They're like a gift to be around and I can appreciate them and I, I'm here myself and I can actually appreciate this moment with them and like real life, then it's like, okay, so there are bad parts to life and there are good parts, but both of them, I at least get to be with people and I get to, you know, experience them with my friends and with my family and all that, right? That's the the road that my mind takes. And just, I hope that this whole conversation is helpful for, for anyone. I mean, I think we're all humans. We're all, we're in a journey to figure ourselves out to a certain extent and then leverage our knowledge to do more for others and more for us too, like to get more out of our lives. As you're saying things, I just think that that's, Leanne and I have had conversations like this off the podcast. You have dug into your own mind at such a great level. So going forward then, so you, it seems like you've gotten to where you understand quite a bit about yourself. Then what was next for you? I always go back to this conversation that I had with my brother. I was living on my own. I had Bought all every book I could possibly buy because remember this was back during a time when you couldn't just open up your computer and Google everything about you know this or that. This is a time when you had to go to the bookstore and buy the books. I called my brother and it was probably like one o'clock in the morning because I still was and I still to this day am a night owl. Um, I think I've got a reverse clock. So I called my brother and I said to him, I said, you know. You would think that knowledge is power. I now understand what is wrong with me. I've done all the research. I fully understand what is chemically and physically happening to my body. I've, I've, and you know, now I've been in psychotherapy for years. I, um, I've, I've worked through all of these issues. I had a massive anger. I had massive anger issues, um, you know, to the point where, you know, I was threatening to kill people at certain points in my, in my, at my worst, um, never took any action. Thank God. Um, but I said to him, why can't I, because I know this, I know what's happening. I know when I'm on a high, I know when I'm on a low and I'm, you know, I'm being medicated. I'm still, but it just because you're being medicated doesn't mean that you're still not having little, little ups and downs. It just means that they're less. I said, now I know what's happening to me. Why can't I like a finger that's broken, put a splint on it and fix it? And my brother's like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way, man. This is not a, a physical thing. It's, it, it's an emotional, mental thing chemically happening in your brain you you just you have to work through it and it would make me angry that i know what's happening it's like smoking a it's like smoking cigarettes i know it's extremely bad for me i know that a nicotine addiction is horrible i know all of the you know the things around a nicotine addiction i know that in 45 minutes Almost 100% of the nicotine, I think like 95% of the nicotine is out of my body and I'm going through withdrawals for that entire 45 minutes, I should be able to walk away from it and say, yep, it's pretty much 95% out of my body. And if I just go another three hours, it'll be almost completely out of my body in 24 hours or 48 hours, it'll be completely out and I'll be fine. But that's not the way the brain works. That is not how it works at all. So in this case, knowledge is not, it's not power because you have to put the work in. And we as humans, as much as we are willing to put the work in to, I don't know, create a database 
sit down at a computer and write code or as much as we're willing to go to work and, you know, so that we can get that paycheck. It is a struggle to emotionally constantly put the work in. We run away from that all the time. But I had looked at my family and the fact that at one point in time, my dad was running around town looking for me because I had, you know, he he thought I was about to commit suicide. I had seen my mom crying hysterically. I had, you know, blown up a marriage. I had, I looked at my life and I went, I can be a statistic and end my life, never get married, end up constantly on this roller coaster, or I can rise above and be different. And that is the the path that I just, I dug in and decided I am going to be, I'm not going to be a statistic. I'm not going to be one of those people who go off and on my medication. And I dug in and I did that because I had the support of my family because I had people who loved me and I had so much love to give back to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the key. Yeah. When you have people who love you, but don't enable. And that's the key. Mm-hmm. My, my dad, my dad, stopped enabling me. He let me fall and I fell hard. And I think that was the pivotal moment in my recovery, if you will. When I fell, I rose from that. And that was when it was, um, yeah, I dug in and uh, stayed the course, never went off my medication, not once. And I haven't in 15 years. Every day got better. Every month got better. Months turned to years. Now, I've had hiccups along the way. I was drugged and raped, and that sent me for a, a major tailspin. Yikes. So, wait, wait, wait a second. Wow. Okay. So, like you said, it's affecting your, it's bringing, it's, if, it's tweaking your highs and your lows, but it's not meant to deal mm-hmm. with major trauma, right? It doesn't just like say, oh, yeah, I'm, right. I'm going to be fine, even though I'm going through a lot of trauma. So, you've been on medication since really since you made a choice, but he, he let you go and you got to the point of making that choice and then um, you've been on medication. But but what would you say? I mean, I think there was more to that story too around some of those choices that you made, right? Oh, absolutely. So I threw you for a loop, I think. Um, 12 years ago, um, I, I took a, a break from the professional world after I was found unconscious in my vehicle because I was slipped a roofie and lost 16 hours of my life. And um, that threw my, my whole, you know, being completely stable for a loop. Traumas obviously throw us for loops. We all have Um, traumas. We all have experiences in our lives, but we have a choice whether or not to rise above um, and, and fight, you know, to, to be okay. Um, But I, I chose to go on medication, um, you know, stay on that medication, stay the course. And I had an amazing support system with my dad, with my mom. And I continue to have that. I think that my dad will tell you that when I, I, I'm turning 41, my dad told me that when I hit 30, he no longer feared getting phone calls from me. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, every time the phone would ring, if it was past eight or nine, I was fearful that something was wrong. But you talked about anxiety. My anxieties were not that typical, the heart is pounding, your chest starts to feel tight. I had what was called tactile anxiety. And I've had this since I was a child. Um, where if somebody were to touch me, it would make my skin feel like it was crawling off my body. And I used to have them late at night when I was trying to sleep because I always, I've always had problems sleeping. That's part of bipolar disorder. So my dad used to get phone calls from me at 10 o'clock at night because I'd be having a 
full-blown anxiety attack. I'd be laying in bed and the touch of the blankets and the touch of the me laying down used to cause me to just have massive anxiety, tactile anxiety attacks. And the only way to make it stop, and this is going to sound horrible for a second, but I would I would stand up, I'd strip off all my clothes, and I'd literally stand on my tiptoes in the middle of the room until it stopped because I couldn't have anything touching me. It was the most horrifying, terrible feeling in the world. And the only way to get my brain to stop was to have a conversation with somebody to get my brain to stop. Otherwise, it would become hyper-focused and it would last sometimes 30 minutes to an hour. So I would call my dad and be like, hey, dad, how are you doing? And he's like, uh, fine. I just, and I'd say to him, I just need you to talk to me. And he'd go, okay. And then he would just start talking about random weird stuff. And usually within five to 10 minutes, it would go away. And then one day those calls just stopped. So what was the difference? I haven't had uh, an anxiety attack or an episode in 10 years. I'm not sure at what point I hit that, um, that where I really went over that hump. But there comes a time where I think people just eventually have healed. And while I know I still have to keep those checks and balances in place, I still have to make sure I'm careful. I still take my medication religiously. I think that I'm past the traumas. I think I'm past the shame. I know I'm past the shame. I'm past the embarrassment. I'm healed from the traumas of going through all of that. And I just got to a point where I was eventually comfortable in my own skin and now comfortable enough to talk about it. And I think that it's possible for most people. And I won't say everybody because I'm not sure that everybody has the ability. Because the, I, I, I'm, I think that some people just don't know how to let go. I wish that everybody could. Mm-hmm. But I think for, for the people who are willing to do the work on themselves, I think that people have the ability to heal. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was just going to say is like, so you did the work, you know, for however many years, and then suddenly you got there. And that's, that's beautiful. I think that's the hope we we can offer everyone. I mean, it certainly isn't going to hurt you to work on yourself, like to really investigate who am I and what am I capable of, right? Like those questions are not going to be like, like it is scary to say, okay, so to accept that I had all these experiences and I I wasn't able to really enjoy them completely or whatever the reason is, but then to say, to get past that fear of the unknown and just step into it and do the work. And what I'm hearing from you is, yes, you stayed on drugs to, or stayed on, not drugs, but you stayed on prescription drugs to help with the highs and the lows. But what I'm really hearing behind the story is the the work, the choices that you made to really dig in and identify and work on yourself. And I mean, the process of, of therapy is you are recognizing, you don't go in to a therapist and say, um, well, I just want to shoot the breeze with you. Like you're, you're going there because you're like, you know what? I could use some help. And I think that there's more possible for me if I work through some of this, right? I'm going to process things in my life I'm going to accept that I might find things out that I don't necessarily always want to know, but there's going to be a benefit if I choose that. And I get it. There's maybe some people in life that just are fine. (laughs) I want to meet more of them and study them and see if they're okay (laughs) really inside. (laughs) But (laughs) But like most of us, maybe not most, hopefully not most, but many of us, that's actually the real story, that we 
have to do a little searching. We have to be honest with ourselves enough to say, there's more here for me. And that's what I, that's what I'm hearing from you, like behind the scenes and in, in your story. Any comments around that? You can't just simply, simply say, give me drugs, make me better. That's, that's not possible. You can't simply say, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop my, I'm, I'm just going to stop my addiction and then be better. That's, that's not the solution. Period. End of story. Not the solution. There is always an underlying cause. Same thing with, um, you know, the enabling. If you, as a, if my dad would have continued to just clean up my mess and my mom continued to just clean up my mess all the time, it never would have prompted anything. And if I would have just gone in and said, give me medication, make me balanced, I would have continued to be, what What do they call it, um, a dry drunk? I can refrain from doing anything. But if you don't actively want to change and be better, you will continue to just be the angry, sober guy. So if I would have just gone in and gotten balanced, no longer had you know, ups and downs, I would have just continued to be the angry, oh, poor me, this is the life I was born into. Oh my gosh, I have, you know, I, I, I would have simply continued to be the broken girl who just now doesn't have depression and mania all the time. It's not just go on medication to be better. It's go on medication, discover yourself again. Because no matter what's going on, you there's there's a reason. And I'm not saying that there was a, a reason beyond I was born with bipolar disorder. But now that you've had this your whole life, there's work that needs to be done to deal with everything that's happened because of that. Now that you are, you know, uh, an addict, you now have to deal with all of the trauma behind that. It's not just trauma for for you. It's dealing with, you know, for me, I, I had to go to my family. We, we, we're not mad. We're not upset with you. We're not, we know that you didn't do this intentionally, maliciously or on purpose. But for me, I'm like, yeah, but those were my actions. I still feel obligated to tell you that I was a horrible person often, you know, and I did horrible things. And, and my parents, yeah. We, we get it, but it wasn't your fault. Ownership. I'm hearing that too. You took ownership. You have to. And, and did I choose it? No. Does, does anybody choose? Does, does somebody who is suffering from, you know, alcoholism choose to do horrible things? Does somebody who is addicted to, you know, heroin ultimately, you know, wake up? When they're 18 years old one day and say, hey, I want to continue to be addicted to heroin and then go steal from my family to continue my heroin. No, that is not what they aspire to be when they were seven years old. But their parents or whomever, they have to let them fall yeah. as low as possible in order to help raise them up. Now, unfortunately, heroin is probably a bad example because that that's a killer <laughs> yeah. very quickly. But any of these things, I mean, depression is too. I mean, like, like any of this stuff. The only way that, that we can help others is to allow them to hit bottom and to experience what it is like without those that love them for them to finally realize what life is going to be like if they continue a along that path. And then once they realize that, that there's, they have a whole life, a whole world of people to lose. Maybe at that point, they will be ready to be lifted up by all the people that love them. And for me, that in my lowest moment, the two days before I went to my first AA meeting, my best friend, one of my best friends, who to this day is still one of my best friends, I grabbed her around the neck and threw her against a wall because she tried to take my beer from me. Oh, wow. I mean, how dare her try to take my booze from yeah. me? I didn't even remember doing it because I was so intoxicated. She had to explain to me that she would not be 
coming anywhere close to me anymore because I had assaulted her for trying to give me a ride home. And two days later, I went to my first AA meeting and I quit drinking, started seeing that psychiatrist. I think that we all have to be you know, shown what we have the ability to lose in order to, to finally want to be helped. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's some heavy stuff. Well, I just, uh, I'm just so thankful. It's like, there's such a mix here of like, this, I love emotions and how when you really feel them, how great they are, because this whole celebration of your parents and you, in the contrast of the honesty around where you were. And yeah, I'm just, I feel, I think I feel what you're saying. And I also feel the same similar things that like, it's like a, it's like a double emotion because I can understand (laughs) what you're talking about, you know? Um, So, I mean, to a certain extent, obviously there's differences, but um, yeah, that, that moment where you've got to make a choice and you understand like for me that I was an emotional abuser and that, you know, I, I'm trying to push people away so they don't, so they leave me alone and avoid them and not deal with issues. And, but yeah, so I don't want to make this about me. I just really want to celebrate your parents and you for letting that process happen and going through the work. And it's just such a, a powerful thing to hear. And I think that, everyone that wants to grow in life if you listen to what she just said i mean she's really willing to share here <laughs> that's cool even if you are suffering some from something di- that's been diagnosed you can't depend on the the drug that's giving you some boundaries they've been studying recently i've been reading some articles about how you know, maybe we can use mushrooms or they've come up with other drugs that might be able to help an addict. And okay, so if you can somehow help someone to get out of their blindness and whatever state of addiction they're in, fine. But you're still going to have to make the choice to work through what's behind it. The choice of becoming a better you is super powerful. And it is worth it if we somehow can get a shortcut to get us to non-addicted or whatever. Okay, that's fine. But I still am going to be advocating for you to do the work, whatever you need to figure out for you. There, there's no shortcut. There, I mean, yes, I, I understand the, the, I understand the idea behind you know what microdosing. I think is what they they talk about with. Um, with mushrooms and with other things of microdosing to help with certain addictions, or I've heard even microdosing for mental health um, disorders and things like that. I can understand the concept behind that. There could be some soothing effects for people in that, and I'm not. Hey, I'm not opposed to using a natural. You know, marijuana has got some such amazing. It's proven to be amazing. I am 100% on board with, hey, let's use a natural thing. Of course, is the marijuana that's produced nowadays natural with all of the weird crystals and stuff on it? Is that, is it crystal? I don't know. Compared to what I smoked when I was in, you know, a kid, we're not getting, we're not going down that road. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like, but I am, I am not opposed to using a natural versus a chemically created drug. Um, so if they can come up with something that is regulated properly, dosed properly, the only thing that freaks me out is, you know, are these people who are trying to use this, are they going to end up overdoing it? I, w- I would love to see more natural remedies that are truly helping, but there is no shortcut to it at all. Really well said. I, I think that there is an opportunity today for even just the conversation. Like if you can find someone like Leanne or find Leanne or check out her podcast and, you know, just find people that are working on themselves and that have, that have had some success and talk to them. Right. Like that's part of what we're about here is let's talk about this. If you have a conversation about something, 
believe that you can learn from that. Don't come to the conversation thinking I know everything. I certainly don't know much about mental health, but I just learned quite a bit by listening to Leanne. Then I'm using that and applying it to me and saying, okay, so maybe that was the real issue behind like some of the anxiety and right. And then dig into it. Cause I think there is one thing that's interesting about um, our brains. And that is that we have this amazing subconscious that does record everything. And we can, we can ask ourselves questions and we can, it'll bring memories back. Like that's part of working through things is like, Oh, that's why that didn't work out so well. Now I understand, right? So just want to, one last time, one last celebration. Thank you so much to Leanne's family for supporting her. That is amazing. And even just stepping back and giving her the space. I mean, it takes a lot of bravery to give someone the space to, to fail and to fall. And to your friends and everyone that's listening to this after the fact, just Thank you for supporting her. And I think that we all want to support each other, but yet also know that balance of not enabling, right? We want to know the balance of not just being everyone's friend and giving and giving and giving all the time, but just stepping back, praying for them, whatever they need, you know, being there, being sensitive to where they are. Um, and I just, I like that about your story that, that your, your family was brave and did that for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome. And I have an amazing husband that is so supportive too. So, but thank you so much for, you know, having me on. Thank you both. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's great. Great way to end it. The little story she has, she has a beautiful young girl uh, and she's married and has a great husband today. So it's like, you've gone that full circle. You've gone back to, a healthy version of you that uh, has a healthy family. So appreciate that very much. Thank you very much, Leanne. This was awesome. It's always awesome to talk with you. Thank you for tuning in. And to stay in touch, email us at info at businessaddictspodcast.com.